One of my favorite stories that uh, uh, Hans Christian Andersen told was the story of the ugly duckling. And y'all probably know that story. It's a story of a, an egg that gets uh, uh, shuffled into a duck's nest. And when that egg hatches, it is not a duck. It's a goose. And, and yet the goose doesn't know he's a goose. He's living in a family of ducks. And uh, always picked on, always ridiculed because he looks different, he acts different, he squeaks and calls different. Uh, he is an ugly duckling. Uh, over the passage of time, the ugly duckling grows, grows up. There's a transformation that takes place so that the ugly duckling is no longer ugly, but the transformation uh, that uh, this, this uh, beautiful bird now sees is uh, one where he finally feels at home uh, because he has experienced this transformation from an ugly duckling uh, to a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, goose or swan. I forgot which one. But anyway, uh, the point is uh, the, uh, the ugly duckling was trying to live as a duckling when he was intended to be who he really was. In many ways, that's what we discover as we encounter people throughout the course of our everyday life, and certainly what we experience when we look at Acts chapter 9. People experiencing life, but disjointed, experiencing life, but not really who they feel like they ought to be, and that's the reality for every single person. As we looked at last week, God has made each of us in his own image and likeness, and he has created us to have friendship and fellowship with himself. And until we have friendship with God, we live our lives uh, feeling like an ugly duckling. And what we need is transformation that uh, only Jesus can deliver. And it's our job as the church uh, to communicate Jesus, to share Jesus with others so that through faith in Jesus, people who are ugly ducklings might experience the transformation that God's grace alone can deliver. Now, what we see today in Acts chapter 9, we're only going to look at verses 1 through 19, and we're going to pick up the story of Saul. And what we see about Saul, if you remember, let's, let's go back a little bit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, God gives the church her calling, our calling, uh, you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So you and I, our church, exists to tell others who Jesus is so that they might experience the transformation of God's grace when they put their faith in Jesus and receive the grace of God. Well, that's our calling as a church. Uh, what we saw in the history of the church from that point, that declaration in Acts 1-8 is the church fulfilling her calling. The church pressing forward and the Holy Spirit of God falling at Pentecost. Peter standing up as representative of, of those who are followers of Christ, declaring who Jesus is to those who gathered in Jerusalem and 3,000 people are saved. And then at Solomon's portico, Peter and John representing the church, declaring who Jesus is to those in the temple courts, and uh, thousands again are saved. And then in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John being arrested and uh, brought before the Sanhedrin, and in the face of that opposition, Peter and John representing the church declare 
who Jesus is. In Acts chapter 5, we see uh, 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 obstacles of deception uh, in the church with Ananias and Sapphira and and, uh, trying to deceive the church, and God deals with that. Uh, And in response to that, Peter and John declare who Jesus is. Acts chapter 6, we see that there is division in the church because there's a group in the church that uh, feels neglected. And so, uh, Peter uh, responds and the apostles respond, say, we've got to commit to tell people who Jesus is is we got to give ourselves to the ministry of prayer and to the Word. And so they uh, call upon uh, the church to select men who will step up and serve. And that's exactly what uh, they did, Stephen and Philip and others. Uh, and they stood up to serve in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says that the Word of God multiplied. The number of disciples multiplied because the church was committed to tell people who Jesus is. Then we saw the story of Stephen. Uh, last, uh, 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 last Wednesday night, we heard the story of Stephen. Stephen stood up and told people who Jesus is, and he's killed for it. And in the midst of that murder of Stephen, that martyrdom of Stephen, we see a guy named Saul. Uh, Saul is a, 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 a person who is zealous for Judaism, and, and he's committed uh, to stamp out the way. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we see uh, that, that's, uh, that Saul was leading persecution against uh, the followers of Jesus, against the church. And then we saw how Philip was one of those who was scattered throughout Asia Minor, and he went and he told uh, the people in the city of Samaria who Jesus was, and he told Simon, the magician, who Jesus was, told the Ethiopian who Jesus was, and lives were transformed. Now, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we hear again about Saul. Uh, Saul, the same Saul who we will know in a few chapters as Paul, Saul uh, was breathing threats and murder against the church. And he had committed himself to stamp out all the people who were followers of Jesus. But the apostle Paul, uh, Saul, who will become the apostle Paul, meets Jesus and he is transformed. And in that transformation, uh, God initiates a new movement. Remember Acts 1.8, you, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Acts 2 and 3 and 4, in Judea, Acts 3 and 4 and 5, in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. As Saul meets Jesus and his heart is transformed, God calls him up. Uh, to be a missionary to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, what do we need to learn about this? Well, uh, this is going to be a two-part message tonight. Uh, We're going to hear about how God calls out the called, and we're going to look at part one, and then Sunday we're going to look at part two, how God calls out the called. But first, we're looking at this one aspect that's universal to all of us in the church. God rescues sinners and then he sends us on mission. God rescues sinners, and he raises us up for mission. The persecution and death that 
happened to the church would not stop them. They pressed on. Division and difficulties wouldn't stop them, and they pressed on. They, they were committed, even in the face of the greatest persecution, to fulfill their calling. The church fulfills their calling when God rescues sinners and raises them up for mission. He calls out the called. Uh, what we find is, as we look at this in two parts, first, that God, God does His work, and His work is simply this, Jesus rescues sinners. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that Jesus rescued a sinner like you or like your daughter or your son or your father or your mother or your cousin or your brother or your best friend? You're the stranger down the street or the one who is an atheist or an agnostic or uh, comes from other uh, religious traditions. God rescues sinners uh, through Jesus Christ. Now look at verses 1 through 9. Uh, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a, a light sh shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city uh, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with Saul stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose up from the ground, and, uh, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blind. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drink, drank. Saul of Tarsus was committed to Judaism. Saul of Tarsus was uh, passionate about Judaism. He was committed so much so that he was zealous to persecute what he perceived to be a heresy, that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, as part of the Sanhedrin, uh, raised in a Jewish family in Tarsus, uh, Saul uh, excelled in uh, the law, even as a child. He was enrolled in the school of Gamaliel, uh, where he excelled even more in Judaism, uh, committing himself to follow uh, rigorously 619 different laws every single day. Saul was a, an excellent student of Judaism, and, and so he, he excelled, and, and he was put on the Sanhedrin. He was a member, or at least an acolyte, in the Sanhedrin, and, and he was passionate because this was how he was trying to find his meaning and purpose. And now when the opportunity arose to uh, uh, excel once again, he became excellent at breathing threats and then committing murder of those who were of the way, those who were followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Saul was a committed persecutor of the church. And Saul did this because he was like the ugly duckling. He was trying to find his way, and yet there was still an emptiness inside him. Every person, every single person who is separated from God by their sin, 
uh, is walking around empty and incomplete. There is a, a hole in the middle of their soul. The people that you and I encounter, the people that we once were, separated from God. And God, in His grace, sends Jesus to our rescue. And Jesus met Saul on that road to Damascus and changed his life. He was rescued from sin's embrace, and by placing his trust in Jesus, he was brought into the family of God, and he experienced a transformation that he had never known before. Saul was converted. And the reason we know he was converted is uh, later, in in a few minutes, we're going to see that he was also baptized. Baptism itself was a declaration that now he belongs to a different family, no longer part of Judaism proper, no longer committed to persecuting the church. He declares that his true family is the family of God found in the church, the the family of faith in Jesus Christ. And so Saul was converted, but in that moment he was also called. Saul was called by Jesus to do something that um, he, he, he was prepared in a unique way to do by God. He was raised up uh, in this setting where he became um, rigorous in his uh, discipline, in studying the law. He knew the scriptures of the Old Testament. He was committed in, in finding Jesus. He found life in God in the family of God. He found life for the very first time. And so now he moves from that encounter with Jesus. And though he, were, he is blind in his physical side, he receives for the very first time uh, spiritual sight. His encounter with Jesus changed him forever. So that from that point forward, Saul was committed to tell others who Jesus is. Guys, that's the kind of transformation I long to see every time we gather together, every day that I walk out my front door and into the uh, seven cities of Hampton Roads. I want to be a part of that kind of transformation. I want to see Jesus rescue sinners. I want to see somebody who is so far from God that they smell more like hell than heaven. I, I, want, to, I want to see God rescue them. I, I want to be a part of that. Don't you? Every time we gather together, don't you want to see those who are far from God rescued by God's grace? More than anything else, to see that transformation, that's what gives life to the family of faith when we see over and over and over again uh, those who are far from God find life through faith in Christ. And that's what God does. God does it through the faithful testimony of you and me as we turn every conversation, the topic of every conversation uh, toward Jesus, as we tell people who Jesus is, as we share the good news of God's rescuing love. Have you done that this week? Have you awakened every morning in prayer asking, oh God, will you lead me to somebody to share Jesus with this week, this day? Are you praying intently for that one person that God has laid upon your heart who needs, who needs rescue by Jesus? Are you praying for them, for the opportunity to talk to them and to tell them who Jesus is? This is the heartbeat of every family of faith. And this is what brings joy to the church. This is what brings hope for the future. It's that lives are transformed and rescued by Jesus. 
And God does that work. It is a work of God uh, to bring new life to those who are dead in sin and trespass. Um, And so we look for those opportunities. We pray for those opportunities. When we start getting together on June the 1st and we start praying together, we're praying for our church to experience in, in full flavor God's favor as he leads lost people to be found through the work and ministry of our church. Uh, we're, we're, we're praying for God to do His work. We're asking God, oh God, let us be part of this great work that you're doing as you rescue sinners. Uh, that's what he did for Saul. Uh, Saul, although he looked like he had it all together, although he excelled in his education, and although he was excelling in his vocation as a member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee, He was empty and incomplete on the inside, and he needed Jesus because he was separated from God. And there was no amount of religious effort that was going to get him there. We live in a world of religions that promise a lot of things, but they can't deliver. We're not promising anything that we're trying to deliver. We're promising the very thing that only God can deliver, forgiveness for sin through faith in Jesus Christ, and be brought into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. And every person who gathers with us, every person who is part of this family of faith, if you have been converted, if you've experienced that transformation of God's grace, then God is raising you up to be on mission for Him. God is raising you up. He's calling you as part of First Norfolk and as part of His family to be on mission to tell people who Jesus is. And God does His work, and He rescues sinners through Jesus Christ. But we must do our work. You see, our work is discipling those whom Jesus saves. Our work is to disciple those whom Jesus saves. If you look in verse 10 through 19, you hear the rest of this part of the story. In verse 10, it says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus, and and his name was Ananias, different than chapter 5. And to Ananias, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and Ananias said, here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, and uh, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, Saul is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales, and 
he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. So when Saul had received food, he was strengthened, and he spent some days with the disciples, the believers, at Damascus. Now, a couple of things I want us to see. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about, talked about Babu Chiri, who was a, uh, a Sherpa who would lead uh, climbers up to Mount Everest. And, and, and certainly, we understand that you're not going to be able to climb Mount Everest without partners, not just the Sherpas, but, but those who are at the base camps. You're not going to reach the summit if you don't have the support, uh, partners with skill and equipment and passion to make the journey with you or to help you make the journey. Uh, you can't reach the highest place on planet Earth with, uh, without uh, passionate partners to join you on that journey. When seeking to fulfill God's mission, uh, God has given the church uh, people like Ananias, people who will come alongside us to help us, to disciple us, to encourage us, to support us. He gives us a family of faith to walk alongside us. Uh, what I want you to see about this is just kind of get the picture in your head and in your heart. Saul had a reputation already of creating great havoc in Jerusalem. Again, chapter 9, verse 1, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the church. Ananias in Damascus had already heard about Saul and his work in Jerusalem. He had, had heard that Saul was on his way to Damascus with letters to the synagogue there in Damascus uh, with uh, the writ, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, affidavits and uh, uh, the letters that he needed to arrest anybody who was part of uh, the Jesus way. Ananias knew all this. And now God says to Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to come alongside Saul and I want you to help him and I want you to pray for him and I want you to uh, be a partner for him, a mentor to him. In this whole concept as we see Saul being baptized by the church at Damascus. It is a declaration that Saul is now part of that family of faith. That, that Saul is under the tutelage and under the instruction and under the, uh, the strengthening and the encouraging and the exhorting and even the correction of the believers there in Damascus. But it took Ananias saying, here am I, Lord, send me. It was that first step, that first step where Ananias would move out beyond his comfort zone and go to the very one who had the power to put him in jail and to pronounce to him, Brother Saul. The good news that we carry as followers of Jesus is that it's God's work to do the transformation and it's our work to do the discipling. But we have to be willing. We have to be available. 
Are you available to come alongside someone else, a new believer or someone who is uh, not as mature as you are, and come alongside them and help them become um, a faithful, mature follower of Jesus? Are you committed to take as your responsibility to step up and serve and come alongside those who need Jesus and need to learn the way of Jesus, who need to grow as followers of Christ. Are you ready to say, here am I, Lord? And not only did Ananias say, here am I, Lord, Ananias also said, brother Saul. Now, that's an important phrase. Saul was up till the Damascus experience in verses 1 through 9, Saul was enemy to the church. And yet, Ananias, knowing that Jesus had met Saul on the road to Damascus, knowing that Jesus had transformed Saul's life, Ananias took God at his word and said, Brother Saul, you're part of my family. I'm here for you. I'm here to to help you. God has sent me to you. Friends, the the lessons here are so big for us. See, this family of faith is not designed for each of us to sit in our straight-back chairs and never connect, never be involved in the growth of another believer, never be involved in, 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 in discipling someone else. God has designed each of us to disciple somebody. And the question is, who are you discipling? See, God is raising you up He's calling you out to be a disciple of another. Now, the the great amazing thing of this multiplication that takes place the way God has designed it is God takes someone uh, who is far from him and by grace, uh, through faith in Jesus, transforms that heart, that life, and brings them into the family of God. Then he plants that person, that Saul, into a body of believers, the church at Damascus, and brings out Ananias, and a few uh, uh, verses later, bring along Barnabas and, and disciple Saul so that Saul might fulfill the calling, the unique calling that God had planted on his life. And we're going to talk about it Sunday. But that unique calling, that he is to take the gospel... Uh, to the Gentiles and uh, to uh, uh, rulers in different regions of the world and to the nation of Israel, Saul was going to be a missionary extraordinaire. And it was Ananias' part and Damascus, the church at Damascus, their part to come alongside him and disciple him, uh, to nourish him with God's Word, to nurture him in the way of Christ. And guys, that's your job too. That's my job. It is our task. Every person who has been rescued by God's grace and planted in this family of faith, it is our task to come alongside those who are uh, 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 followers of Jesus, who are, uh, need help toward maturity, whether they know it or not, and come alongside them and say, my brother, my sister, let's do this life together. Let's learn and grow in our fellowship with Jesus. Let's, let's commit together and covenant together to be brothers and sisters in Christ and helping one another grow to become more like Jesus. 
the beauty of this passage is how that God has set the church up, how he calls out the called so that together we might fulfill our mission. He rescues sinners and then he, uh, and, and then he calls them out and sends them out on mission. So what do we need to do? What is the application for us today? Well, first, we need to move beyond our fear. There are many of us who sit in this room or in our life groups, and and we're sitting on the sidelines. We're not engaged in the lives of other people, and sometimes it's because of fear that we have. And and, and we got to move beyond that fear. Ananias certainly had fear for good reason. It wasn't just about rejection. It wasn't just about, uh, about uh, 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 feeling inadequate. It, it was fear because Saul had the power to put Ananias in prison. But Ananias responded to his fear by saying, Here, my Lord, I'm going to go. Um, today, are you ready to move beyond your fear and to hear God's call uh, to disciple others, and not only to share Jesus with others, but to disciple others. This is the way God has designed the church, move beyond our fear. The second thing we need to do is we need to put our yes on the table. Ananias heard from God, and he said yes. He didn't balk, he didn't hesitate, he pressed forward in obedience. Have you put yes your yes before God. God, whatever it is you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. You've heard me share, and a couple of weeks ago I shared uh, on Sunday uh, how that God called me to be a pastor. And it wasn't a Damascus Road experience like Saul had, but rather it was uh, me simply saying, this prayer, the prayer my dad told me to pray because I was discontented inside. I said, I said, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. And I'm in it. And God called me in that moment to be his preacher, his pastor. I'm thankful for that calling. Maybe God's calling some of you to be a pastor like me or to some other ministry. It's, it, it's something that God has planted on your heart. He's calling you out to serve him, not merely in discipling others, although that's so vital, but, but also to um, go into ministry in a bivocational or co-vocational way, go into ministry by helping lead scattered church, go into ministry by um, going to seminary and learning exactly how God's gifted you for the ministry to, to be like uh, Jan Frost or Julie Hunt and serve in the church in that beautiful capacity uh, in preschoolers and their families or children and their families, uh, to be like Philip Herring uh, called out by God to serve in, in uh, the ministry of our groups and, and the ministry of the church and discipleship, or maybe even like Claude Parent, called by God to serve in an administrative capacity in our church. Called like Steve Harper or 
even Chad Eisenhower, these uh, men that God has raised up, gifted but called to serve the church in a unique way in the media ministry. How has God called you? Will you put your yes on the table and let God direct your steps? And then will you be willing to say yes, no matter what? God, I'll do what you call me to do. As we, the church, hear God, see God, rescue sinners, and then call out the called, then God will bless our family of faith, and we will fulfill our calling as a church in telling others who Jesus is. Let's do our part. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in and your going out. May he fill your life with purpose in fulfilling the call. God bless you and good night.